Hello and welcome back to the Film Journal podcast. I'm Emily and this week we're talking about Martin Scorsese's 1990 film Goodfellas. It stars Ray Lolita, Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci. I'm pretty sure that's how you pronounce his last name because it's Italian. But I'm very sorry if I've got that wrong. I'm so bad at things. <laughs> films are so hard to come by nowadays and you just you don't find them often but this is definitely one of the best if not the best out there to be honest it's a little bit embarrassing that the first time I watched it was only a month ago but um you know so if you haven't watched this film yet you definitely need to go give it a watch I mean it's just one of Scorsese's best and it's if you're a film buff like it's just one of the ones you have to watch it has to be on your list no matter what because it was amazing it was just so good so yeah now I'm going to go on to a plot overview so if you don't want any spoilers don't listen any further until you've watched the film all right okay so as a kid Henry who is played by Ray Lolita first finds himself in the gangster business through Paulie So Henry works for Paulie and also has close contacts with Jimmy, who is played by Robert De Niro, and Tommy, who is Joe Pesci. Originally, he buys stolen items and resells them, and as time passes, he works his way up onto more serious crimes. Henry then meets Karen, who he seduces with his glamorous lifestyle, and do they marry? Tommy and Jimmy beat up a guy and shoot him. He's part of another crew, and he was just recently released from prison. The guys realise that there will be some sort of retribution from the, for this, so they go and bury the body. Six months later, the borough area is being turned into like some development site, so they have to go and relocate the body. And this is the where the well-known scene is of them digging up the body with like the red backlight that was just really popular and nice scene. A few years on, Karen finds out about Janice, who... Uh, Henry is cheating on her with and she basically goes and harasses her um, and then she also holds Henry at gunpoint. Henry moves in with Janice but Paulie and Jimmy kind of persuade him and urge him to go back to Karen. Jimmy and Henry are arrested after collecting debt from a gambler but they were turned in by the gambler's sister so they receive a 10-year prison sentence. To keep his family afloat he gets Karen to smuggle drugs into the prison which he sells onto a different inmate somewhere else. When Henry is paroled, Paulie tells him that he needs to step back for a while and not do anything too suspicious because he doesn't want anyone to get in trouble again. Um, Henry goes against this and starts up this like drug cartel and uh, eventually Tommy and Jimmy get involved in that as well. Jimmy then gets a new team together to raid a vault in an airport. It has millions of cash in it and jewellery as well. And it it's a success. And um, when they all get out, some of the members start buying like really expensive things and like flashy things with all their cash. 
And then Jimmy gets annoyed by this because he specifically told them not to do that because they they want to avoid suspicion. So in the end, Jimmy ends up resorting to killing most of the members. This is when Henry says in the voiceover that he reckons Jimmy would have done that anyway because he wanted to keep the money for himself. Tommy is led to believe that he's going to become a made man, which is basically a fully initiated man in the mafia, and you have to be like fully Italian for this as well, which is why Jimmy and Henry couldn't ever become that because they're both half Irish. However, Tommy is actually been taken to be killed because of the earlier death when he killed that man who had just been released from prison. A few years on again, and then we see Henry has become a wreck from his cocaine use. He sets up a drug deal with some associates, but he is caught and arrested. Karen bails him out, and he loses his cool when he finds out that she flushed all the remaining drugs down the toilet. I think it was like £60,000 worth. Um, but she said that she was obviously doing it because the FBI agents would have found it otherwise. Paulie ends his association with Henry, giving him like £3,200 or sorry, dollars when he comes begging for it. Um, yeah, he doesn't want anything to do with him anymore because he basically went directly against what he told him to do. Henry becomes suspicious that Jimmy is going to have him and Karen killed when he's uh, asked to go on this like special assignment, but it sounds like very suspicious to him. So Henry then becomes an informant for like FBI agents and the government or whatever, and they get him into witness protection and he ends up going on testimony and basically rats out Paulie and Jimmy. They're arrested and convicted. Um, and then basically the film ends with him having to live a very average and normal boring life, which he just resents. So you kind of see him going into witness protection program and he's just kind of like resentful of the fact that he has to live a normal basic life. However, so the film ends there, but in real life, these characters are all based off real people. And um, I think Henry actually ended up committing some crimes again, and he ended up going to prison again. And he died in 2012 for a heart attack, I believe, which surprised a lot of people because they thought that he would, you know, he wouldn't die of natural causes, he would die because he's, like done things wrong like you know he ratted out Jimmy and Paulie and normally stuff like that would get you killed. So this is another classic by Scorsese, arguably one of his best. Scorsese just has a knack for films like this, his techniques and skills that go into creating these are unlike anyone else's and you can just always tell when you're watching one of his films. And it's so rewatchable too, like no matter who you are as well, if you're a film critic or a film buff or just a, a normal average Joe watching the film, I think if it comes on on your TV, you just don't turn it off because it's just that kind of film that you can watch over and over and over without getting bored. I think that's part of what turned it into a true masterpiece when people realised, like you watch it the first time and you think, that's good. And then you watch it a second time and you're like, okay, this is really good. And then you just carry on watching it more and more and more and more. And you're like, okay, yeah, this is definitely a masterpiece by Scorsese. So let's talk about narration in this film. Scorsese is one of the few people that has mastered the use of voiceovers in films. A lot of generic films that use it tends to just 
appear lazy in a film. It's like, you know, it seems like they can't fit everything into the runtime of the film. So they just whack a voiceover on top of some pretty generic filmmaking scenes and shots. And I've literally just zoned out saying that because it's just so boring. Whereas Scorsese, especially with Goodfellas, it's in all of his films, like Wolf of Wall Street, Tax Driver, and also Casino. Yeah, the narration in those films just complements the visual storytelling so well. Like, it's there for a reason. It, like, draws you in as the viewer and makes you more connected to the characters and it also helps you understand the plotline a lot more and just seems, like, actually interesting and it adds to the scenes that you're seeing as well and like as you're watching scenes develop you start learning more about little things that are in the scenes and it just kind of helps you notice more things in his films so yeah the voiceover helps us establish connections to the characters at the start with henry we get a connection with him because he is doing a voiceover but then also later on with karen because she starts doing some here and there as well so at the start henry uses a voiceover to explain the ins and outs of mob life and he, this voiceover here is kind of used to progress through like the early stages of his life in the mob and then it cuts to him older and he's like shutting down the boot of a car. So this was like a really good way to explain everything that was happening leading up to where he is now in his life so you're kind of all caught up. The thing is, Scorsese has a way of just kind of throwing you in there, which again he does with this film, but you're given all the information you need to actually understand what's going on and what's happening. The way that he did it as well with this uh, young Henry before he, you know, grows up, it doesn't feel rushed, it doesn't feel like he's tried to cram loads of information into a short section of the film because of this voiceover, the way that, that he described it and like cut the scenes together, it just... It just worked really well. There's also a perfect balance between voiceovers and normal dialogue in all of his films. Sometimes the narration like disrupts the characters and vice versa, but it's not made jarring at all. It just seems quite natural. Also, a note from Goodfellas, again, like other films, he lures you into security with the narration. By the point of Tommy's death, we are all pretty secure in our well, if you can call it trust, towards Henry. Um, he's been explaining everything that's happening in the mob life and we kind of trust what he's saying. Like, if we don't understand what's going on, there's the narration that comes in and it's, explains what's happening. So when Henry and Jimmy are talking about how Tommy's going to be a made man and Henry's saying, like, oh, yeah, Jimmy, sure, it's going to happen. We're all so happy, blah, blah, blah. Obviously not like that, but, you know. Yeah, so you feel, like this is going to happen, this is safe, like, you're just, you know, watching the film, and then out of nowhere, you realise, as Tommy realises that he's going to be killed, he's led, in, led into this room, and then you just hear him go like, oh, and then bang, and then he's dead, and then, like, literally as he walks into the room, and you just see his face, you're like, you realise it at the exact same time with him, you're like, oh no, and then it happens, and it was just kind of jarring and shocking, and that was just really clever filmmaking, um, to like lure you into that security and then have that thrown at you and you just didn't expect it. But again, I think that use of narration also shows that despite 
the protagonists being the protagonist they don't know all they don't know what's going on around them all the time and this is like a time when it's really obvious we can really see that Henry doesn't know everything because obviously that's just happened and although we feel like we're part of Henry's world from the start he doesn't actually acknowledge the camera until the last scene in the courtroom where he breaks the fourth wall and he actually acknowledges us and I really liked that scene I just kind of I wasn't really expecting to break the fourth wall it was kind of a little bit jarring I was like oh because you know you just got so used to the narration and then all of a sudden he's talking to us and that kind of just wrapped you up in it a bit more I guess Breeze frames. So another signature trait by Scorsese is the use of freeze frames. His main use for this is to, you know, emphasise key scenes in the film and make sure that you remember or, like, understand the significance of that scene. There is a lot at the start with Henry when he's growing up in the mob, because obviously to him, all these memories that we're seeing were very significant in his life and led him to be the man that he is now, and also... A lot of them are like important in the future. So, for example, take the scene where Henry has his first court hearing and he comes out and Jimmy's there and a bunch of the other mob members are there as well. They're all there to like greet him and they're all really happy, like, well done, you didn't rat us out or anything. And um, that's kind of like a key thing that you need to know if you're in the mob, like you don't rat out your friends, as Jimmy said. It's also a key scene because whilst it also tells us that you don't rat out anyone no matter what, it's when Henry really like feels part of the mob because they're all there to greet him and he's kind of like welcomed by them and like congratulated by them. So not only is it important to the film, but it was important to Henry, who is our main protagonist in this film. So I'm going to talk about one of the most important lines from the film, which is, now go home and get your mother effing shine box. Obviously she doesn't say effing, but I'm just not going to swear because, you know... So yeah, this is one of the most important scenes from the film and it affects everything. If the bat guy, whatever his name is, I can't remember, <laughs> hadn't said this to Tommy, everything that happened could have been totally different. Ultimately, it is what led to Tommy's death. Jimmy and Henry were both paranoid after this happened. Jimmy didn't know who, who to trust and Henry realised through a conversation between the two of them that he wasn't safe and Karen and his family were at risk. This further led Henry to go into witness protection in exchange for uh, testifying against some of the gang members. And then because of that, he had to rat out Jimmy and Paulie. So this is inevitably what led to both of their falls. And also Henry's again then, because after this, he just hated the fact that he was a regular schmuck and having to live a normal life. So as audience members, it's hard to know how to feel when you're watching this for the first time. So let's take away all the directing, the cinematography, the cool editing and the styles and everything and etc, etc. Let's just get rid of all of that and let's look at this film and the story and the characters. So normally you'd look at people like this and you'd consider them the bad guys. I mean, they're mobsters, they commit crimes and they hurt people. They seem like a big family, but within one decision they make, they that could be the end of them, and they're out of the mob, or, you know, they're killed. So it's brutal. So, yeah, without all of 
the stylized editing it is just cold-blooded and horrible but then when you add all of that back in so the narration the freeze frames how we're brought closer to the characters the emphasize of the important moments and the emotions and the actual title of the film as well goodfellas the fact that they consider each other you know good guys oh they're a good fella you know like all of that it's all kind of like manipulates you into thinking oh they're the good guys even though you know that they're not you're kind of lured into this comfort that makes you think like oh it's okay but at the same time I think Scorsese stayed true to like showing that mobster gangs are actually brutal and bad because you can still see it in this film like all these people they don't have a reasoning for what they're doing they're just doing it because they want to and he did stay true to that and showed that whereas I think a lot of other movies kind of idolize it and justify it so yeah all of these terms and all of this like style in the film kind of has a psychological effect on us and even though we know they're bad people we can't help but like go along with the protagonist and be on their side because we're brought into their world and told their secrets and it kind of just makes you feel like one of them in a way even though obviously you're not but yeah okay so Tommy this is played by Joe Pesci and he won an Oscar for this role this is probably like the most talked about role of the film so Tommy DeVoe is based off Tommy Tommy DeSimone. I don't know if I'm saying his name right. Um, and I read that basically, well, and you can see it, but Joe Pesci basically just nailed this role on the head. He just resembled this guy in this film. He was, he just had his character down to a T. The only difference is their height. So yeah in this film this guy is a well and in real life this guy is a psychotic killer whose mood can change as quick as anything so he can be laughing one minute making jokes and the next minute shoot someone down i mean take the scene with spider for example tommy previously lost his cool and shot him in the leg and then he comes back the next day and or not the next day i don't know how however long it was um and then spider gives him a bit of attitude because Tommy is kind of making fun of him and he basically just tells him he can stick it where the sun don't shine and obviously he doesn't take kindly to that. He kind of just brushes it off his shoulder but then all the other guys around that are playing cards and drinking and stuff are like, oh, are you going to take that from him? Are you going to let him say that about you? They're all joking though because you can hear they're all like laughing and messing about with him and then Tommy just shoots him and kills him because he just took it too seriously like he couldn't take the joke he had the chip on his shoulder and he just lost his cool so yeah the others were literally just pulling his leg and obviously spider was just had a bit of attitude because the guy had literally just shot him in the leg and then this guy tommy just he won't stand for anyone saying a word wrong to him and that snapped his mood change and that was it so he's like very short-tempered and irrational and that scene kind of just sums him up to be honest ultimately this behavior is what led to his death because they decided that he was too much of a risk with his temper 
and he reacted way too harshly to situations that were mild at best. Then we've got Jimmy Conaway. He was based off Jimmy Burke, a real associate again of Henry Hill. So he's a mastermind when it comes to heists, which is why he often led a lot of robberies and heists, <laughs> I guess. Um, he has a great ambition, but along with that, he does have a short fuse. And his paranoia after the biggest heist he committed um, led to him killing the people that were involved. From the start, he created a close bond with Henry. And when we see that bond form, he seems like a warm, good-natured man towards the people that he trusts. And he seems to genuinely care about them. But then when he loses trust within people, he becomes cold-hearted and just doesn't care anymore. It's like a snap of the fingers and all the emotions have gone. Then we've got Henry Hill. So the story centres around Henry and we see that he is a hard worker, first to become like a member of the mob and be accepted, but then working to get more and more money because he just keeps blowing it all on whatever he wants. Whilst he's still an extremely violent, violent man, he seems much more tame compared to Jimmy and Tommy. But again, he's also unfaithful and abusive towards his wife. And I think all of this is because of what has surrounded him in his life with growing up with his father and his mum. And then obviously when he started coming into the mob at such a young age, that has taken such a toll on him that they think that violence is okay and, you know, there's nothing wrong with violence. So once Henry has his, like, drug cartel and everything, he just becomes so sloppy and paranoid because of all of the cocaine, which led to his downfall. And it's what made him become an informant because he didn't really have another choice. He was saving his life and his family's life. We can see in, like, the short scene at the end where he's under witness protection that he actually resents his life and he wishes that he didn't have to rat on his friends because now his mobster life is over and he can't be a gangster anymore and that's who he is and he has to live this generic, average Joe life and he hated it. So basically, all three of these characters are anti-heroes but because they are central to the story arc, we follow with them and despite hating what they're doing, you just obviously go along with it because they're the main characters. But I think to most people, and to me, this is the best gangster film there is out there. It was just done so well. Even all of Lex Corsese's ones after that, which are totally amazing as well. Goodfellas just stands out compared to everything else. So from me, I'm giving this film straight up a 5 out of 5. I try not to give too many films that because I don't want to just be like overly generous and just like watch any film and be like, oh yeah, 5 stars. But I basically, but basically with like all Scorsese films, I just give them all like 4 stars or above because he's just like one of my top, top directors. I just love his directing so much. We just talk about how many iconic films he has there, like Goodfellas, Casino, Taxi Driver, Wolf of Wall Street, Shutter Island, 
Raging Bull. Like, they're all amazing. Anyway, I digress. IMDb gave this an 8 out of 7. 8 out of 7? Wow, that's a good rating, isn't it? Um, IMDb gave this an 8.7 out of 10. And Rotten Tomatoes gave it 96 with an audience score of 97. So, originally though, when this first came out, um, I don't think everyone thought it was overly great. Like, apparently a lot of people walked out of the cinema. Um, but it didn't take long to, you know, start getting hype up around it. Anyways, that's it for me this week. I think I might start doing a couple of episodes soon based around like uni life and life as a film student because I'm gonna be going to uni in three weeks, which I'm really excited about. Or maybe I'll just add it to each episode weekly. So I'll do like a review and then talk a bit about uni. Just let me know which you guys would prefer or if you'd prefer to have that as like a separate episode because I know some people might not be interested in that because you know uni might not apply to you guys so yeah just let me know anyway i hope you guys enjoyed this episode uh make sure to check out my instagrams which are the film journal podcast and emily tetris media this is just where i post a little bit of photography and like my personal projects and future uni projects and all of that i'm so so busy at the moment i'm trying to get stuff ready for uni get everything ordered get everything sorted so I'm going to try and make sure I get an episode out for next Sunday. I will do my best. But anyway, yeah, thank you for listening. Bye, guys.